Kit McCarty here, welcoming you to Now I See, a podcast where people of vision share their eye-opening experiences that helped them shift focus, gain perspective, and see themselves and their world in a whole new way. We invite you to pull up a chair to the conversational table, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy our show. We're hoping our time together will encourage, elevate, and engage you toward your own eye-opening moments. Our special guest today is Angela Geisner. Welcome to our show today. Hi, how are you? I am I'm doing well, and I'm so glad you're here. Angela you. is the owner of Geisner Insurance Agency and is a longstanding and influential member in our community. She's received the Community Builder Award, being recognized for her leadership in Sir Optimist, Grand Prairie Women's Club, Grand Prairie High School Alumni Association, Boys and Girls Clubs of YMCA, the American Heart Association, the Grand Prairie Library Foundation, City Planning and Zoning, Beautification and Historical Projects. She was named a worthy matron in the Order of Eastern Star. She's been on advisory and steering committees for Texas House Representative and recently received the Lifetime Achievement Award from Joe Biden this year. So no doubt she inspired her son Greg to also serve our community for several terms on the City Council. Angela is the founder of Lifeline for Families Incorporated, and as such, is a tireless advocate for children and their families in crisis. We're going to talk about Lifeline today and a fun upcoming event that allows our listeners to get involved in a tangible way. Angela is a pet lover and posts the most delicious recipes and heart-tugging stories on her Facebook feed. Angela, I see you as a strong, protective, innovative, resourceful, and compassionate person, a person who likes to make things right. How do you see yourself? The exact same way. I'm so glad. It took me a long time to put all those things together to really realize what I did. Well, uh, you just have a lifetime, a history of seeing things and running to, to serve, to fix them. And I just love that about you. A lot of people see things, but they don't know what to do with it. And somehow you did. Or maybe you didn't, and you just forged through. Tell me. Tell me, how were these things formed, and how did you get started? Well, I, I think early on, I picked up on it probably at least when by the time I was 10 or 12, and uh, my dad saw that I was sad one day because of not being able to help somebody. And we talked about it, and he explained to me, you can only help the ones that are in our area that you can help, you know, and to... Uh, you couldn't carry the whole burden of the world on your shoulders. And that was very helpful to me as I was growing up to know those things. And he kind of would steer me and guide me a little bit in that area. And a former minister who's been retired for quite some time, Corky McGee, we had a conversation one time before he went to uh, Highland Park Church. And I just made some comment about, well, I wish I could sing or I haven't found my talent yet. And he said, oh, yes, you have. You just don't know that that you have it. He said people instinctively go to you for help, problem solving, and so forth. And I thought, well, I guess they do. And then he's another one that said, just do what you can. You're, he's placed you here in this corner of the world, and that's what you're supposed to do is serve him here. And uh, so that was another insight for me that I had never thought about before. So did you grow up in a family of helpers? You said your dad was an influence. Was he a helper? Was he a fixer? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He definitely was. He uh, and mother uh, worked the First Baptist uh, nursery for 40 years. And uh, I grew up as one of five siblings. 
and mom and dad just loved kids and my mom had to tell my dad I can't keep having kids just because you think they're cute <laughs> they're cute you know well, so yes it was cute. it was an instinctive thing and I think it all really started through uh church and being mm-hmm. a child of God and and growing and learning to know that that was part of our job while we're here to to help and to serve so many of your projects have children at heart, the Boys and Girls Clubs, and your involvement in education and, and you know, in particular Lifeline, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, education Foundation. I'm on Education Foundation and, and of course, still Lifeline. It, I feel like it's my, my baby. But uh, one of the things I did there is I told them at three years that I'm no longer going to be president because my feeling is we have a board, and we're all opinionated, or they wouldn't be on the board, but we all work real well together, and we need everybody's opinion and advice and their strengths. We draw from their strengths and their faith and so forth, and so that has been uh, a good thing for our board. You have such amazing leadership skills. Where do you think those came from? Kind of learn them on the go, or did you follow a good leader? I guess I just learned as I went. I never really even stopped to, to really analyze, I guess you would say. Uh, You're a strong leader, and you surround yourself with strong leaders, and that really I think well that's I think that's the best thing is is the leadership that we have in there. It would t- I told them if it 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 would take all of us, but still not have been able to do what we did if God hadn't been involved in it. So we try to always acknowledge him and give him the credit for what he asked us to do. Which is, that just takes so much bravery, so much courage, because God often asks us to do big things. And I think a lot of people get afraid and step down. You didn't. You stepped up. So take us back to the beginning of Lifeline. How did that start? What did you see that made all the difference? Uh, I, I saw that there were hurting people out there, especially the children. And how were we ever going to break some of the cycles that they were going through unless somebody... Uh, started something and I didn't understand why that's why we had the meeting with all the executive directors they have their own missions and they have a hard time uh, financing their own missions and they believe me they wanted something like that to get started they just couldn't do it because they weren't equipped to do it long term uh, like United Charities at that time could give it a couple of days stay at a hotel and things like that, but it wasn't actually solving their problem because we did not even have a shelter in Grand Prairie. So for people that are unfamiliar with Lifeline, how did it get started and what does Lifeline do? Uh, Lifeline got started by uh, myself and a group of board members that saw the need for it and we wanted to, and we knew we would just have to take it a step at a time. We knew we, uh, because of funds, which grew later, we got grants almost immediately, which we were told it'll be five years before you're able to get a grant because they have to see who you are and what you're doing and what you're capable of doing and are you making a difference in the community and so forth. But uh, the... Dallas Morning News, we've been one of their recipients for several years, and uh, 
they have during some of our annual interviews they have brought people out here from other schools and there's been five other schools that have patterned their school after lifeline and i think there's frisco and farmers branch and mid uh uh, mesquite um I forgot who the other two were. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's kind of a compliment. If they didn't take it and rubber stamp it, they made it their own, what was going to work for their particular school and school district. But it does say that we were having some effect in the community by helping. And when we hear that uh, they monitor our uh, the children's grades that are on the program and when they're off the program and see... They may, because of the situation they're going through, sometimes it has an effect on them. But then after they're through the program and things have settled down for the family, you see them on National Honor Society, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, just excelling. They're just so happy that they're in a good place. And having the apartments for the families was had to be inspired because we had no money, you know, that we could uh, build a structure for a bricks-and-mortar shelter. So I had gone to a Seroptimus meeting. uh, It was a regional meeting, I believe, and they were talking about uh, a place they put up women for a month uh, to help them find jobs and so forth. And I said, well, what do you do after a month? Well, after a month, they're out. They don't have it. Oh, I'm going well, to myself, well, you just wasted your money. Right. Uh, but it. To learn skills the, and how to budget and how to. Right. All kinds of things. It, uh, but it did give me the idea mm-hmm. because back in 2003, there were a lot of apartments that had signs that said first month's rent free. So it helped us get them in there and get a month's worth of utility. We did, we would do one to three months at that time, unless there was dire circumstances we might go an extra month. But uh, they, it, it was great. We didn't have to hire anybody, buy food, have security, have beds. We were able to keep them. They were happy there. Nobody needed to know they were homeless. And it worked out perfectly for us. Gave them some independence and some it dignity. It did. And it it did. Some dignity. Mm-hmm. The most important thing was their dignity because they're, a lot of times they won't come forward. Right. It's embarrassing. And that's how we found them in the beginning is they were sleeping in their cars. And it wasn't until the third family we put up that one of the mothers told us, we know where all the policemen would patrol, so... After they patrolled a certain area, that's where we'd spend the night in our car that night. Well, then the kids would get really sick and come to school, and then we'd find out they were homeless. And they were always told, they'll take your kids away from you. If they find out you're homeless, they'll take your kids away. And they were terrified about losing their kids. Well, especially if they'd lost everything else. Right. You know, had... Uh, lost a stable relationship, a uh, uh, you know marriage or a, a stable living situation. Had lost their home, had lost their furnishing, their clothes. If they only got out with what they were, could carry, and lost everything. That's what happened ninety-five percent of the time. So. Mm-hmm. 
And so I love that giving them dignity helped turn some of these kids around. Um, you said that so many of them went on to succeed. They actually, once they had some stability in their lives, some place to go and to be able to sleep at night, to be able to, a place to do their homework. Once they had some stability, then they could redirect their attention and their focus, their energy on more productive things like learning and social interactions, which they did. And uh, so tell us some of the stories, uh, some of your success stories. Well, the two things that I saw were putting people in this position was I don't think they were taught any goals or skills when they were growing up. And uh, I think that was probably one of the most difficult things. And they didn't know how. When you're deep that and that deep grief of all you're going through, you're just gasping for air. You do not, cannot even think, what do I need to do first? How how can I get myself out of this situation? Which is when they come to us, that's part of our program that we teach them to do. And we teach them not to try to get in that situation again. I'm so glad for that because a lot of these, and I'm going to assume that they're mostly um, mothers, um, may have been put down their whole lives. Nobody mm-hmm. ever saw them. Mm-hmm. They never heard them. They never gave them any value or dignity. They didn't, and they may have grown up thinking they didn't know life was going to be this hard. You know, there were so many adulting decisions they had to make and that they might have to make them alone. And so if you come from a place where you nobody's built into you, nobody's poured into you, nobody's said, hey, I see this in you, um, and you bring that with you, and they work far below their yes. their level to work. They may and we give them school because nobody believed they could be good students. I mean, so if, they, if that's the situation that leads them to it, you're not only having to deal with the immediate situation of this mother and her children are homeless, but correcting so much of the damage that was done before she even got there. Yeah, we found that had we had to help the the parents or whoever the caregivers were. If we could help them, then we ultimately help the kids because they see how mom is reacting to this and how mom pulled herself out of the situation, or dad too, and it's a training process for them as well. I think so too, and not only does it give them dignity, but it gives them hope that things don't always have to be this way. When we come back from our break, Angela Geisner is going to tell us how people make a difference, about the difference they make, and how you can make a difference too. Don't miss the heartwarming conclusion of this episode. In the meantime, you can impact how others find out about the informative, inspiring, uplifting stories you hear each week on Now I See. You can share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. You can leave a rating and review of our show so others can find it. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter that highlights our most recent episode as soon as it's released. You can participate in our Facebook discussions and become part of the brand new exclusive Now I See group on Facebook. Just follow the link on the Facebook page, Kit McCarty NIS, or visit our site, nis.media, for more information. We'd love to hear from you. If you or someone you know want to advance the cause of Lifeline Shelter, or are in need of the resources Lifeline Shelter provides, you'll find information in our show notes, on our website, and on our Facebook and Twitter pages that will help you take the next right steps. 
or you can reach out to Lifeline directly at lifelineforfamilies.org. That's lifelineforfamilies.org. You can also get information about a Lifeline event happening in Grand Prairie, Texas this weekend. But I'll let Angela tell you more about that as we return to our show. So you've gathered an amazing group of people around you. You want to give a shout out to some of them? Sure. Uh, some of the original board members were Kim Thorne, our attorney. Pat Watson's on the board. We had Indy Hopkins in the past. Some of our current ones, uh, Susan Hart, uh, Amy Sprinkles, George, of course, Georgia Clemson, um, uh, I'm trying, uh, Janine Walker, uh, Edmondson, Amy Edmondson is the new member on our board. Uh, Marshall, (laughs) Marshall Sutton, my brother. Greg has just recently come on the board, and uh, so we 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 have quite a crew in there. So, how did this all come together? Did you just sit around and toss out ideas until something solid emerged? Did you patter it on another uh, structure that you'd seen somewhere else? How did this grow? Well. All I knew was banking and insurance. I was not a trained social worker. So we went to Miss Tilly over in Arlington. Yes. Bless her heart. I love her to death. I do too. She would take so much time with us, and I would go over with a list of questions. How did you get started? How did you get funded? I just had all these things written down that how we would know when we were ready for another uh, step. Um, and there was a place the it used to be a f- uh, women's shelter in Dallas, and we went to visit them. Uh, she was a gracious lady that was executive director, and I said, okay, so what's your annual budget? And it was like one point to me. Oh, my word. And you're, you're, you know, got a couple of coins in your hand going, where is this going to go? And, of course, I could only have – help about 300 people a year and I knew we were going to do way more than that on little to nothing and uh, but we 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 just picked out people like that to try to learn from and I went to some homeless conferences with Christine Gonzalez from the school district and uh, that was at my own expense because I wanted to know I was trying to trained myself until we started getting grants. At year three, we got the grant for strategic planning, which was very, very helpful for us, and uh, got blessed that one of our original board members, Kathy uh, Severtson, was uh, our first executive director because she had her degree in social work. So the, after the first year, she came on board with us so she until she retired and then melinda rogers is a fabulous fabulous director she's thinks out of the box and has always got something going on that we can do or uh to try to help people and some sometimes there may be a slight time where it's winter and people are out there in their car and they might not particularly meet our nine-week requirement of being in, of having a child in school yet 
but we try to get them off the streets when it's winter and then when we can go back the first week whenever that clears up then we try to see does this fit our program or do we refer them to Dallas or Fort Worth so it started when you observed that there was a child that needed help how big is the problem in our community how many people do you feel are affected by homelessness in, in our community? The ones that they can locate through school run from, it depends on the year, sometimes it runs around 1,200, it could be 1,500. I haven't gotten any figures for this year, and uh, and that's one question I forgot to ask Melinda before we got together, because she would know, but it's generally in that area. It's stunning. It's overwhelming, um, and, and especially when you were telling me that Dallas, which is a much bigger city, was only able, that particular organization, to help 300. So what in you said, yeah, we can do this. I think we can do this. Because uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, honestly, I saw the problem too, but I didn't know where to start. Well, sometimes I say it's because I think I love mysteries, and I, if there's a problem, I, like, I love to go in there and figure it out and figure what we need to do and then get it to where it needs to be. And uh, so I think maybe that's part of it. Part, I know for sure the most part is God, you know, his direction in anything that we do. I sure don't want to tell him no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. So um, you've been doing this quite a while. You've learned a lot of things. What are some lessons you've learned along the way? That we always want to try to be flexible with what oh, we're doing. Because yes. <laughs> things never go as planned, do they? <laughs> and uh, because sometimes we might, uh, when I say that, let me back up a little bit, we're now we're co-partnering on some things with United Charities and that the Dallas Morning News when they interview us for a grant every year and we talk about things well here's some of the things we'd like to see if y'all could start doing because this is what uh, is they're being told that we everybody everybody needs to offer is not just you but partnering in some things together well so many of these things are interrelated you're talking about education and housing exactly and, and skills training and you know exactly uh, psychology and psych, you know, sociology. so uh, uh you know we have helped uh but it, it helps us help more people that way to be able to be flexible and uh and if we have to change maybe something in our mission we would do that. We're not, I don't want us to be so strict on everything that we can't alter the mission that we're doing to include, be more inclusive. Uh, if it's there, we need to do it and take care of it. And so that's what we, that's what, that's just one of the many things we talk about in our meetings and things that we want to to watch for we always want to be innovative and moving forward so that we can help more people what do what's going to help them the best get on their feet get their goals and get that happy family back together did you ever smack yourself on the forehead and go oh what have I gotten myself into because it's so big or did you just say okay well then we just need to work harder no I didn't oh my god <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so big. I, I told him, I look, you know, I don't know this, and so maybe ignorance is bliss. No, you're but, a visionary. 
Yeah, you know, nice. I, I just felt like we needed to go forward and do what we could do, and I wasn't going to, you know, I was cautioned about that. I was cautioned not to do that because it had been tried before, and it did more damage than it did good, and I thought, well, what do I know? Mm-hmm. You know, let's go forward and we'll see, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I just couldn't walk away from it. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't walk away from the problem. I couldn't walk away from the kids is what bothered me more than anything. I felt like they deserved to have uh, the ability to get their education. So they've got to have the, the, the tools to do that. And we just couldn't keep ignoring that, not in our city. I don't think our city would be proud of themselves if they did that. And And they stepped right up immediately, even though... I was just amazed. I thought, we just started this. And the first family we put up, we just started putting out some calls, and here comes Gail Wills with the box full of stuff for the kitchen, and Margaret and Ronnie Lyles were helping uh, move things. And, And so I think it was probably the credibility of the board that maybe helped them realize that we weren't, going to do anything that would be not be uh, an embarrassment to them. We would manage our funds. We would truly operate like we felt like God was calling us to operate. And I think that's probably what had a lot of, uh, added a lot to it. It's just so amazing to me. It's just so amazing to me. Um, So another thing that I'm hearing you say is, Another reason for the success of this program is the connections. It's the people when they bring the best of themselves to this. That makes all the difference. It does, absolutely. And they want to help. Yeah, I think so. And everybody does their little part that they can do, and it just works out beautifully. It just works out beautifully. But one of the strengths of your leadership that I've always admired is that you've um, drawn strong people alongside you. Uh, to walk with you, um, to challenge your ideas, to cause you to think bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, have you always been a person who said, yes, we can do that? Or, uh, I mean, <laughs> you just, you live with abandon. I don't see, I don't see the caution in you. I mean, you see a risk, but it's worth taking to you. A lot of people see the same thing and say, I can't do it, it's too big. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said that. I'm so glad. I'm so uh, glad because you made such a huge difference, not just for families in crisis, but for the community as a whole. I just so appreciate what you've done. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's amazing when you have the kind of board we have, absolutely. Okay, so there are people out there who see things that need to be done, but they don't know how to get started. What advice would you give to them? Uh, same thing I gave Tammy Chan when she was wanting oh, to Tammy set up Chan. the... <laughs> Uh, the the homelessness for mm-hmm. the the ones that are actually on the street because mm-hmm. that is an issue and they need help too. We were that was just not our mission and we right. were not able to, to to do that. I know in the beginning there was a Dallas Morning News uh, reporter that wanted to do uh, an article and she did and she said, "Well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And ha- what makes you think you can do this and that and the other?" I said, "Look." All these agencies started because there became a problem in our community and somebody wanted to address it, so they did. Then something else happened, 
and we had to start another agency to, to solve that problem. And that, that's how all the, the agencies are born. And I told her, I said, we're just trying to eat this elephant one bite at a time. We don't have all the answers right now, but we're educating ourselves, and we will have, and we've got people that are knowledgeable in social work, and we're getting grants for things that uh, that give us good advice. So that's why we know we can we can do this. So I love that. So people are going to hear this broadcast, and they're going to want to know how can I help? What can I do? First thing, they can call our uh, executive director, Melinda Rogers, because she'll know. We have an uh, office with the social workers in one of the school's buildings. And the superintendent of schools, Susan Hall, was on our board, and then also Linda Ellis is on our board as well. Uh, so I'll get calls, and I go, well, we've got, 200 of this or something else of that and I'm going I don't know if they need that I'm now fortunate enough the first year my husband and I basically did everything <laughs> and bless his heart he he was that I got the right husband when I got him because he just whatever I wanted to do he'd always say how can I help you you know and so that's a big Ralph was a smart man he was <laughs> So I, I don't get involved in the day-to-day stuff like that unless there's a decision she needs to call. And uh, we've pretty much given her the, you know, the freedom to make those decisions, but she'll always give us a heads up on everything. And there's another way people can participate. You've got a concert, a fundraiser coming up. Tell us yes, about that. we do. Well, uh, the gospel concert will be uh, September 18th at First Baptist uh, Church in Grand Prairie. Starts at 7. Believe me, uh, people start coming at 6 o'clock. And so we're looking forward. We did not uh, get to have one last year, of course, due to COVID. And so we're real thrilled that everybody seems to be very uh, uh, excited about coming back. And it's, uh, we pass a plate. If they want to give a love offering, that's fine. We're tickled to death if they put a nickel in there. We're just there for fellowship and for them to learn some about Lifeline and uh, just enjoy a, a good evening. It is a good evening. This town has so much good talent. It yeah, really so does. A lot of fun. So there will be protocols in place for those who are concerned about COVID issues right yes. now. So we are going to make sure that that is. And we've also, on our save the date, we put on there to be sure and call that day and make sure it's still open uh, because rules and regulations can change that we may have to follow. And so we want them to be. So I think it'll It'll work out okay. Bill doesn't seem to be worried, and neither does Stuart. So they told me it was thumbs <laughs> up, you know, all systems go. So yep. we're really excited about it. to be the plan. Yeah. yeah. It's originally started uh, by Olin Massey, and back when he started it, it was called the Stained Glass Gospel. And then uh, Mr. Brundridge took over after uh, Olin was not able to continue due to health reasons. And then he had health reasons, and that's how we grabbed Stuart real quick, Stuart Matthew, and uh, and uh, he's taken it over since then, does an outstanding so job. To do it. I know, he loves it. Mm-hmm. 
He loves it. He's going to be a future guest, and we're going to talk about music and the power it has. So, yeah, you pick the right person for that. That's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. So if people aren't able to attend the event, can they still give? Yes, they can. Okay, yes, they can. That. We'll have envelopes there, and also they can I'll call the Melinda and ask her to send an envelope out to him. Can they give online? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. We will make that uh, information in our notes available as well. Okay. All right. Is there, uh, as a result of our conversation today, is there anything that you want people to see more clearly? You know, I'm just think sometimes, I said in the beginning, if we can just help one family, then we've done what God wanted us to do. And I've thought about some of the families that were more impactive to my memory. One was the lady that had a pickup truck with broken windows, had four kids in it. It was cold, pouring down rain. And uh, somehow she found out from somebody that knew about Lifeline to contact our office, and we were able to put them up. And uh, she sent the nicest thank you card. Uh, It said something about, you picked me up, you dusted me off, and you got me going in the right direction. Now my kids are in National Honor Society and and band and Boy Scouts and all the good things you hope kids will be involved in. And she said, and oh, by the way, we have windows at our truck now. But they were just thrilled with the department just to have a roof over their head and nobody had to, you could get warm. You didn't have to worry about anybody uh, bothering the kids at school about being homeless. Mm -hmm. And it just preserves their dignity. I think that was one of the most important things. They don't really want to ask for help. They're not the type to ask for it. And we've had people come back to us and actually uh, want to donate to us and have donated to us because they were so pleased that someone was there for them when they were in that situation. And another one was a young lady that had taken her kids by school district one Saturday, I believe it was, because she figured somebody would be there and take them somewhere for protection. She didn't know what to do, and she planned on committing suicide. Oh, my word. Well, our executive director, see, we don't know names or anything. Right. They, we go by numbers. Mm-hmm. And so the executive director said, I can now tell you this girl wants me to tell you that you know her and that you worked with her one time. Wow. And now that she was through the program and every, she was – not in danger or anything and the kids were doing real well she felt comfortable enough and she was really proud of what she had accomplished so she wanted uh Kathy to tell me Mm -hmm. tell me tell my her story to me and I would have never known if Kathy had and and when we would do girl of the month for seroptimist we would have a lot of parents or grandparents uh, come tell us that they were a Lifeline family. Wow, that's amazing. And here their daughter's getting an award f- from the school district for Girl of the Month. That has to feel so good. Oh, it does. It gives me chills. I think, what if Lifeline had not been there? 
what would those people have done? Yeah. Well, it's certainly the right name. He's yeah. part of Lifeline. Yeah. They caught it and made all the difference. Thank you so much for the work that you do in our community. Well, thank you so much for coming out here and speaking with me about Lifeline. I can talk all day on Lifeline. Well, we could. <laughs> it'll be fun. So let's see yeah. it in action. Let's go to the event and celebrate uh, the talent in this town and hear some more great stories about Lifeline. Thanks again, Angela. And thanks, listeners. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Can you think of someone who would enjoy our show today? If so, please share it with them. You can help others find us, too by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Visit today's show notes for show highlights, links to recommended resources, including our own, nis.media. I'd love to hear what you have to say, so drop me a line at Kit McCarty NIS on Facebook or at kit at nis.media. And if you'd like to hear more from me, sign up for my periodic newsletter when you're on my site. Special thanks to the production team at Headset Radio and to my friend Becky Salazar for the bumper music. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. See you again soon.